Welcome to CE Conversations, a clinical podcast presented by Creative Educational Concepts designed to improve clinician performance and optimize patient outcomes. This session, entitled Overcoming Disparity with Novelty in Triple Negative Breast Cancer, Community Oncology Perspectives on Promoting Equity and Improving Clinical Outcomes. This activity is accredited for one hour of ACCME, ANCC, and ACPE credit, and is supported by an independent educational grant from Gilead. To earn CE credit and complete the evaluation for this activity, please visit the link in our show notes at the conclusion of the podcast. And with that, we will turn it over to our expert faculty. Thank you so much. So on our agenda for the next hour is to review um, racial disparities that have been observed in the management of breast cancer, um, specifically as it pertains to triple negative breast cancer, to review some of the currently approved therapies. There have been a number of new targeted therapies and antibody drug conjugate therapy that has been approved in the last few years for subsets of triple negative breast cancer, and then to look to the future and to think about um, what therapies are coming down the line for our triple negative patients. And to do this all through the lens of understanding that there are racial and ethnic disparities in the management of triple negative breast cancer, in fact, all different forms of breast cancer and what we can do as providers and um, to help eradicate these disparities and make sure that all of our patients are getting equal access to all of these new therapies that are now available. We're gonna review the epidemiology and biology of triple negative breast cancer, look at what drives the health inequity that we see uh, in the clinical care setting, to review some of the recently approved therapies for triple negative breast cancer, PARP inhibitors, immunotherapy, uh, antibody drug conjugates, and then look to the future at emerging therapeutic strategies, which may be entering the clinic in the not too distant future for triple negative breast cancer. So really exciting times. There's gonna be some exciting data at at ASCO this year. So I think um, a lot of, of excitement finally for triple negative breast cancer. So I think as you all know, triple negative breast cancer is a type of breast cancer that is defined by what these tumors don't express, that they lack expression of the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, and the HER2 receptor. And so these tumors are a very heterogeneous group of tumors that really get lumped together by lack of drivers, um, notably ER, PR, and HER2. We know that triple negative breast cancer accounts for about 15% of all breast cancers, has a tendency to be more commonly observed in young premenopausal women, in those of African and Hispanic ancestry, as well as in those individuals who harbor germline mutations in BRCA1. Over 75% of individuals who have BRCA1 germline mutations, if they ultimately develop breast cancer, have a tendency to develop triple negative disease. We also know that triple negative breast cancer is associated with a poor overall survival after a diagnosis of stage four disease. On average, um, patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer have a median overall survival of about 18 months, although that is certainly going to be improving with some of our recent approvals. We know that triple negative breast cancer has a tendency to be more aggressive 
with approximately one third of individuals who are diagnosed with early stage triple negative breast cancer going on to recur. Generally recurrences occur earlier within three to four years of diagnosis of early stage disease. And as I've already mentioned, have a poor overall survival as compared to HER2 positive as well as hormone receptor positive breast cancer. And historically our treatments have been limited to um, chemotherapy, although that has changed in the last few years. We know um, in terms of triple negative breast cancer that black women are more likely to develop triple negative breast cancer as compared to white women. We know that black women have a higher incidence of developing breast cancer at an age of under 40 years when we know triple negative breast cancer is more frequently diagnosed. Um, so that certainly accounts for some of the differences we see in the incidence, but also there is very likely a biologic basis for the difference in incidence of triple negative breast cancer in black women. We also know that um, women of African heritage are not only more likely to be diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, they're also more likely to have a higher five-year mortality as compared to white women, even when age and clinical factors are adjusted for. However, when we adjust for access to care, these differences go away. And so that's why there's such a need to make sure that all of these new therapies that we have now available for the management of triple negative breast cancer are rolled out to all of the patients who can benefit from these therapies, that we certainly need to work on access to care and, and offering our patients the best therapies we've got. Now, there are a number of factors that contribute to health inequity when we're thinking about Black women with breast cancer as compared to other racial and ethnic groups. There are obviously socioeconomic factors which are very relevant and come into play, um, particularly in certain populations. Um, of patients. We know that poverty, access to um, insurance, access to um, or institutions to, to participate in trials and get access to uh, top-notch care can certainly factor in social stressors, um, lower health literacy, all are barriers that keep patients from getting the best care possible and things that as providers, we should be very empowered to go out and, and to help break down these barriers. There's also a number of biases that have been studied and certainly are quite prevalent in healthcare, systemic implicit biases, uh, patients having prior uh, discriminatory care being provided to them, all of these can factor into then being reluctant to seek care um, for uh, certain diagnoses. We also know that there are biological factors which can contribute to inequity, um, comorbidities, absolutely, um, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, um, as well as differences in uh, population genetics that can contribute to um, differences in outcome. There are a number of historical factors, um, particularly with the Black community, mistrust in the medical community, lack of access or willingness to participate in clinical trials can all lead to um, propagation of health, health inequity. And so these are all things that we need to recognize as providers as we're doing outreach to our patients to make sure that we're providing the best possible care to our patients. So I think it's all to recognize these issues and to empower everyone 
to help eradicate these barriers to top-notch medical care. We know, as I've already alluded to, that triple negative breast cancer is a very heterogeneous group of um, tumors. Again, you know, even within the different subtypes, hormone receptor positive and HER2 positive, there are um, uh, heter there's heterogeneity within all of these subtypes. But as I alluded to, triple negative breast cancer is a form of breast cancer that gets grouped together by lack of, of a driver and therefore there's even more heterogeneity within triple negative disease. There are different ways to categorize triple negative breast cancer um, genomically. So whether it's the PAM50 or the um, expression profiling work that's been spearheaded by um, Vanderbilt University, initially six different subtypes on expression profiling, ultimately um, collapsed into four different subtypes. Again, this isn't work that we generally do clinically, but really just wanted to illustrate how heterogeneous triple negative breast cancer is. And just by way of an example, looking at the four different subtypes that have been um, identified by Dr. Lehman and colleagues at Vanderbilt University, um, basal-like one, basal-like two, mesenchymal-like and luminal AR subtype, you can see that these different subtypes of triple negative breast cancer are associated with different prognoses. So again, not something that we do clinically, but really a research tool to try to identify novel therapies for some of these different subtypes of triple negative breast cancer. So I have a lot of patients who come to clinic asking, well, can you tell me what subtype I have? And it's really not relevant at this point in time, but really more a research tool that can hopefully help us identify new therapies and novel strategies to attack these different subtypes. There has been a lot of work over the last decade that I think we're now finally seeing coming to fruition in the clinic where we've wanted to understand the heterogeneity within triple negative breast cancer by understanding the different tumor immune microenvironment to look at um, deleterious mutations in BRCA1 and 2 and beyond um, to identify different subgroups of triple negative breast cancers that may benefit from particular treatment stat strategies. But beyond that, to just look at the genome, the proteome, epigenome, and transcriptome, all in an effort to identify different subtypes of triple negative breast cancers that may benefit from different strategies. And so, um, you know, I think the long gone now are the era of trials where we take all of our different types of breast cancers and lump them together to try to identify novel strategies, but we're really dissecting out trials specifically for triple negative breast cancer, and then even potentially subsets of individuals with triple negative breast cancer who may be eligible for particular therapies. And this has really been a way we've been able to accelerate the development approval of therapies for the clinic. So here are the most recent NCCN guidelines from earlier this year. And you can see that there are a number of um, therapies that are available for individuals with metastatic breast cancer. Um, chemotherapy, as I'd alluded to, has been the mainstay of therapy for triple negative breast cancer. We now have sasituzumab govotecan or Tridelvi, which is an antibody drug conjugate. We're gonna talk about that later, which is specifically approved for metastatic triple negative breast cancer in the second line and beyond setting. We also have 
have approval for um, PARP inhibitors, both olaparib and telazoparib, which are approved for individuals with HER2 negative metastatic, uh, metastatic breast cancer that's either triple negative or hormone receptor positive for individuals who have BRCA1 or 2 germline alterations and um, as well as immunotherapy, which is now also approved for pdl one positive advanced triple negative breast cancer. And we'll talk about the Keynote 355 data. There are also a number of other chemotherapy drugs that are approved as well as combination strategies that can be used. I would say that for the most part, we're using single agent sequential chemotherapy as opposed to combination strategies. The combination strategies can be useful in certain circumstances, such as an impending visceral crisis where we feel like we've only got one shot at getting the disease under control before we may not have an option to treat the patient further. So that can certainly be um, an option. And then we have a tendency to use carboplatin and gemcitabine that doublet for triple negative breast cancer. And there are a number of, of trials that have uh, demonstrated efficacy of this combination. So in terms of looking at the biomarkers that can help identify um, treatment for specific groups of patients with advanced breast cancer, we know that BRCA1 and 2 mutations uh, can identify patients who are candidates for olaparib or telazoparib for the management of metastatic HER2 negative breast cancer. And we also know that PDL1 positivity, so a combined positive score of at least 10, which is the cut point for what is considered PDL1 positive. Um, we now have an approval of pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy um, for those patients with triple negative breast cancer. I'd also like to point out that pembrolizumab has a tumor type agnostic indication to be given as monotherapy for patients with mismatch repair or um, deficiency or microsatellite instability. And, um, and this is pretty uncommon in breast cancer, but um, I think under 5% of breast cancers, but certainly um, a reason to consider pembrolizumab if you find on your next generation sequencing, you have a patient who may be a candidate. I will also discuss briefly when we get into the Keynote 355 data, the withdrawal of atezolizumab from the market for um, pdl one positive triple negative breast cancer. So pembrolizumab is the only currently approved immunotherapy for pdl one positive uh, metastatic triple negative breast cancer. So starting with the PARP inhibitors, there are two targeted therapies that are now uh, approved for PDL, um, sorry, for BRCA1 and 2 associated metastatic breast cancer, uh, olaparib and telazoparib. The Olympiad trial was the trial, a large randomized phase three trial, which led to the approval of olaparib for BRCA-associated advanced HER2-negative breast cancer. In this trial, patients with um, advanced HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer who had deleterious mutations in BRCA1 or 2 and 2 or few lines of chemotherapy in the advanced cancer setting were randomized in a two-to-one fashion to olaparib versus chemotherapy of physician's choice here, including capecitabine, ribulin, and venerelbine. And the primary endpoint here was progression-free survival with a number of key secondary endpoints looking at overall survival as well as health-related quality of life. 
And what you can see in the lower left-hand panel here is that the Olympiad trial met its key primary endpoint of demonstrating a significant progression-free survival favoring Olaparib versus chemotherapy for these individuals with BRCA1 and 2 germline alterations. You can see that there was an almost three-month improvement in median progression-free survival. And also very interestingly, there was um, an improvement in quality of life. So in those individuals who received Olaparib, you can see that there was a main maintenance in the quality of life as compared to chemotherapy where there was a deterioration in the quality of life. So not only is Olaparib more effective than chemotherapy, it is associated with a better quality of life. There was not an overall survival advantage that was seen for the overall intent to treat population in the Olympiad trial. However, when we look at the subgroup of patients who were treated in the frontline setting, you can see that there was a favoring of Olaparib um, as compared to chemotherapy. Now, this was not statistically significant. This was a subgroup analysis, but I think what we can take away from this here is that that there's a suggestion that the earlier we use um, PARP inhibitors, the better for these patients. So really do want to consider these prior to chemotherapy in individuals with BRCA1 and 2 um, mutant metastatic HER2 negative breast cancer. So the EMBRACA trial was the trial which led to the approval of talizaparib, very similar in design to uh, the Olympiad trial. Again, here, um, those individuals with HER2 negative metastatic BRCA1 and 2 associated breast cancers who'd had up to one prior chemotherapy regimen for advanced stage disease were randomized to talizaparib versus chemotherapy of physician's choice in a two-to-one fashion, a slightly bigger trial, 430 patients versus 300 for Olympiad, and uh, slightly different um, options here for chemotherapy of physician's choice, um, the capecitabine, aribulin, and venerelbine, but also gemcitabine was allowed in this trial. In the upper right-hand panel, what you can see here is that this trial also met its key primary endpoint of demonstrating uh, an improvement in median progression-free survival, uh, favoring the talizaparib arm versus chemotherapy of physician's choice, um, a four-month improvement pretty similar to what we saw with the Olympiad trial. And then in the lower right-hand panel, what you can see is also um, an improvement in the response rate for um, patients who receive talizaparib as opposed to chemotherapy, a physician's choice. Um, what I haven't shown you here was that there was also an improvement in quality of life favoring talizaparib versus chemotherapy, a physician's choice. And similar to what was seen in the Olympiad trial, no significant improvement in median overall survival. Um, however, I would also like to point out that a third of the patients who participated in BRCA went on to subsequently receive a PARP inhibitor as Olaparib was approved um, in the timeframe of the follow-up to this trial. And over 40% of patients went on to receive a platinum-based therapy in both um, the, the talizaparib as well as chemotherapy arms. And that could have potentially confounded the ability of this trial to demonstrate a survival advantage. But nonetheless, both alaparib and talizaparib are associated with a four-month um, improvement in median progression-free survival, an improvement in quality of life, and therefore um, should be considered 
and considered early on in the metastatic um, time journey for these patients. Um, so shifting away from the germline BRCA1 and 2 population to talk about the approval of immunotherapy for pdl one positive triple negative breast cancer, I'd like to review data from the Keynote 355 trial. In this trial, patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer who had um, who had uh, not received prior therapy for metastatic disease were enrolled and were randomized in a two-to-one fashion to chemotherapy of physician's choice plus pembrolizumab or chemotherapy plus placebo. Um, patients could have had uh, therapy for early stage breast cancer, but must have had a disease-free interval of at least six months to be eligible for this trial. Uh, could not be on steroids and could not have active autoimmune disease or CNS metastases. Um, there were three different chemotherapy options that physicians could choose from here, nabpaclitaxel, paclitaxel, or the carboplatin and gemcitabine doublet. Patients were um, allowed to enroll in the study irrespective of their PD-L1 status. However, they were stratified based on PD-L1 um, positivity and um, patients were also stratified based on the type of chemotherapy they received, uh, platinum-based or taxane-based therapy. The primary endpoints for this trial were progression-free survival and overall survival. So there were dual primary endpoints in different categories. The overall intent to treat population, those who had PDL1 positive disease, either a low level of PDL1 positivity, a combined positive score of at least one, and then a higher um, category of those who had a PDL1 um, combined positive score of at least 10, and a number of secondary endpoints as well. What we saw in the initial um, presentation in 2020 was that for those individuals with PDL1 positive disease, and here defined as a combined positive score of at least 10, so looking at PDL1 expression not only in the infiltrating immune cells in the tumor microenvironment, but the tumor cells as well, what we found was that there was a four month improvement in median progression free survival when pembrolizumab was given with chemotherapy of physician's choice as compared to chemotherapy alone. Um, while there was a trend to improvement in the overall intent to treat population, as well as in those who had a lower degree of of PD-L1 positivity, these did not meet statistical significance. So it really is that combined positive score of at least 10 um, cut point patients who benefit from the addition of pembrolizumab. There was a higher response rate seen with pembrolizumab and in these patients with PD-L1 positive disease, a remarkable 12 month improvement in the median duration of response when pembrolizumab was combined with chemotherapy. And you can see from the forest plot here, regardless of the chemotherapy backbone, be it paclitaxel, nabpaclitaxel, or the carbochem doublet, it favored the um, pembrolizumab-containing treatment. And so based on this trial, pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy was granted accelerated approval in November of 2020, and then granted full approval in July of last year based on these data. These data presented at ESMO demonstrated not only was there a significant improvement in median progression-free survival, but there was also a remarkable seven-month improvement in median overall survival. 
because the impassioned 130 and 131 trials, which looked at atezolizumab plus ataxane failed to demonstrate an improvement in overall survival, and the impassioned 131 trial was actually a negative trial, that led to the withdrawal of atezolizumab from the market and the full regulatory approval of pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy for pdl one positive advanced triple negative breast cancer. So I know in some of the questions we touched on earlier, um, I just wanted to highlight that pembrolizumab is the only FDA approved um, therapy for pdl one positive triple negative breast cancer at this time. So shifting gears to look towards um, the future. Um, so antibody drug conjugates, we already have an approval for sasituzumab for um, advanced triple negative breast cancer, but there are a number of other ADCs which are in development that are looking very promising. Um, so just to, to, as a reminder, how do antibody drug conjugates work? Well, antibody drug conjugates are essentially antibodies which target and bind to an antigen on the cell surface. In this uh, cartoon here, um, we're using uh, a, a trope two antibody drug conjugate. So sasituzumab or datapotamab would work in this way. So what happens is an antibody is chemically linked to a toxic payload. That antibody drug conjugate binds to the antigen on the cell surface, becomes internalized into the cancer cells, um, into an endosome. And then the antibody and the, the toxic payload dissociate from one another in the context of a lysosome. And then as the lysosome um, uh, is, is killed or degraded, this toxic payload gets released intracellularly into this tumor cell. And this leads to apoptosis of the cancer cell. Now many antibody drug conjugates, but not all have what is called a bystander effect. And by that, I mean that this toxic payload is able to be, um, is stable within the tumor microenvironment. So it's not degraded in the cancer cells, but can actually diffuse into neighboring cells. And um, it's stable in the tumor microenvironment, diffuses into these neighboring cells and leads to apoptosis of neighboring cells, which may not even express the antigen that the antibody drug conjugate targeted. So this bystander effect is thought to be responsible for um, remarkable potency for some of these antibody drug conjugates. And so a number of antibody drug conjugates that have a bystander effect are being developed for a variety of different forms of breast cancer. So sasituzumab govotecan, which is an ADC, which is approved for advanced triple negative breast cancer and is also being investigated for other forms of breast cancer is, as I alluded to, um, an antibody uh, that targets trope two and is linked to SN38, which is the active metabolite of arenotecan. So why do we care about the, um, the toxic payload is because it helps us understand what the potential toxicities from the antibody drug conjugate might be. So in the case of sasituzumab, we've got the active metabolite of arenotecan. Here is the toxic payload. So neutropenia, diarrhea are the two toxicities we really watch out for with this ADC, similar to what we see with arenotecan. Uh, sasituzumab has a very potent bystander effect 
in that the SN38 is um, stable in the tumor microenvironment and can diffuse into neighboring cells that don't even express trope 2 and lead to a potent activity within the tumor microenvironment. So sasituzumab govotecan uh, was granted accelerated approval based on a single arm phase one, two trial in heavily pretreated patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Um, this was a trial of just over hundred patients. And what you can see here was remarkable efficacy in a very heavily pretreated uh, and refractory metastatic triple negative breast cancer population. In the waterfall plot here, you can see that uh, about a third of patients had a response to therapy um, with another um, a proportion of patients who had stable disease. So a clinical benefit rate of almost 50% in these heavily pretreated triple negative breast cancer patients. And then looking at the swimmer plot here, you can see how remarkable uh, the duration of response was here in these heavily pretreated patients with a number of patients remaining on um, therapy for six months and even beyond 12 months. So again, this led to the accelerated approval with the full regulatory approval based on uh, the results from the ASCENT randomized phase three trial. In this trial, patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer who'd received at least two or more lines of therapy for advanced stage disease were randomized in a one-to-one -one fashion to sasituzumab or chemotherapy of physician's choice. Again, those same options that we saw from the Embark Embraca trial, capecitabine, gemcitabine, venerelbine, or aribulin. Of note, patients um, must have had two prior lines of chemotherapy. However, if a patient had received um, therapy for early stage breast cancer and had relapsed very quickly, um, that was considered a line of therapy. So these patients would only need one additional line of therapy in the metastatic setting to be eligible for um, the ASCENT trial. The primary endpoint here was uh, progression-free survival with a number of key secondary endpoints, um, including overall survival as well as duration of response and response rate. And remarkably, this trial was halted early because of the efficacy that was seen um, at the first interim analysis. And so what you can see here is that there was a statistically significant and meaningful uh, improvement in median progression-free survival seen for patients who participated in the INSENT trial and were randomized to sasituzumab, uh, an almost four-month improvement in median progression-free survival. And even though the trial was underpowered to detect a significant improvement in overall survival, there was a more than five-month improvement in overall survival seen that was statistically significant for patients who received sasituzumab versus chemotherapy of physician's choice. So based on this, the, the um, uh, sasituzumab was granted full regulatory approval um, for patients in the second line um, advanced cancer setting and beyond. There were also some subgroup analyses that were subsequently presented um, looking at patients over the age of 65 versus those who were younger. And you can see that, um, that those patients who were over 65 also um, 
had a remarkable efficacy seen with sasetuzumab uh, over uh, chemotherapy of physician's choice. So no reason to not think about this in our older patients. There were no treatment-related deaths seen in those over 65, and um, the adverse events that were seen were pretty comparable um, for those patients over 65 versus those who were younger. And that is illustrated here. Um, so again, the vast majority of adverse events that were seen with sasetuzumab um, were the neutropenia and diarrhea, but for the most part, the vast majority were grade one to two, um, with the exception of neutropenia. Neutropenia and diarrhea are easily managed by either institution of growth factor for neutropenia or um, anti-diarrheal agents as the case for diarrhea or dose modifications as need be. So again, well-tolerated, highly effective therapy, regardless of age. Also in looking at health-related quality of life, this is a little bit of a busy slide, but you have access to these slides. Again, quality of life favored sasetuzumab over chemotherapy of physician's choice. So what we're seeing is not only is it a more effective strategy, it's associated with a better quality of life, um, most likely because of its better efficacy. Um, and so absolutely something that should be considered. There was also an analysis that looked at those patients um, who participated in the ASCENT trial who were of self-reported black race. And you can see that 12% of the patients who participated in this trial self-reported um, as black. And again, the efficacy that was seen in those individuals who were black favored, um, uh, I'm sorry, were similar to what was seen for the overall intent to treat population favoring sasetuzumab, both for progression-free survival as well as overall survival. So again, we've seen a percentage of patients who participated in this trial of black race having comparable outcomes as compared to the overall intent to treat population. So absolutely um, what needs to be reinforced in our clinical care setting as we're thinking about the diverse patients who come to us seeking care for advanced stage triple negative breast cancer. So I'd like to shift gears in the last few minutes here to talk a bit about some of the emerging therapies. And most of these are antibody drug conjugates that are looking very promising and um, very well could be entering the clinical care setting in the not too distant future. So datapotamab deruxtecan or DATO-DXD is another antibody drug conjugate that targets trope two here with a different toxic payload. Um, this uh, toxic payload here is deruxtecan, which is similar to the toxic payload um, or actually the exact same toxic payload we see with trastuzumab, deruxtecan, or NHER2, which we already have approved and are using for our patients with HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. So again, another an antibody drug conjugate targeting trope 2, but with a different toxic payload, also with a potent um, bystander effect. So the tropian pantumor one trial was a trial which looked um, at a number of different tumor types, um, also included a group of 40 patients with advanced triple negative breast cancer. 
uh, with a primary endpoint of looking at safety tolerability, but also giving us an opportunity to look at efficacy in patients with advanced triple negative breast cancer. And what we saw in this trial was, again, um, response rate in the 30% range, um, about a third of patients who had heavily pretreated advanced triple negative breast cancer who were treated with um, DATO DXD had a response to therapy. And again, a number of other patients with um, stable disease. So again, seeing efficacy from another ADC that targets trope two. What I'd also like to bring your attention to here is in the on kind of underneath the different bars here, you can see an asterisk here. And these are patients who'd previously received sasituzumab govotecan. So it's really interesting to see that an antibody drug conjugate targeting the same antigen, so targeting trope two, actually can have efficacy after disease progression on another ADC targeting that same antigen. So it gives us, I think, a lot of hope that we might be able to continue to target trope two in patients with advanced triple negative breast cancer, but with an ADC that has a different toxic payload. Um, so again, really interesting to see, and, and I think a, a, a lot of excitement around um, these early responses seen here with DATO DXD, large randomized phase three trials are already underway. So I suspect this agent um, may enter the clinic in the not too distant future as well. And here, um, looking at an update of these data, looking at duration of response, again, pretty early on, but you can see that a number of these patients are having uh, responses that are longer lasting. And in terms of side effects from DATO DXD, the toxic payload here is different than with uh, sasituzumab. And the most common adverse events that were seen were nausea and um, stomatitis, again, predominantly grade one to two and manageable, um, but a lower frequency of hematologic toxicities and no diarrhea. Um, again, uh, not unexpected given that the toxic payload here is different than what we've seen um, with sasituzumab. And um, I think you're all well aware that durextecan has been associated with um, uh, interstitial lung disease, but in this small, small, small cohort, of patients, no interstitial lung disease was uh, observed. But again, these were only about 40 patients. So that is definitely something that we need to continue to be vigilant for when we think about um, Durextecan as a toxic payload. Another antibody drug conjugate, which is in development is Ladirituzumab, which targets LIV1A, which is expressed in 90% of um, metastatic breast cancers. This is an antibody drug conjugate, which has a toxic payload of MMAE, which is a microtubule disrupting agent. So has um, toxicity similar to what we see with the taxanes. So neuropathy, cytopenias, hair loss, um, and notably uh, two thirds of patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer have expression of LIV1A. So there was a phase one, um, two study of ladirituzumab performed in heavily pretreated patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. And looking at this waterfall plot here, you can see a response rate of 25% with a number of other patients experiencing a stabilization of their disease. So really exciting data to see another antibody drug conjugate 
with a different antigen that's being targeted and a different toxic payload uh, demonstrating efficacy in patients with advanced triple negative breast cancer. In looking at the duration of response here, again, this was a phase one, two study. So a number of different dose levels that were investigated, but you can see that a number of these patients are having prolonged um, disease control um, based on this swimmer plot here. And again, neutropenia, nausea, um, some LFT elevations as well as neuropathy are the toxicities that have primarily been observed. And there are a number of ongoing phase two trials also looking at combining uh, this agent with immunotherapy for advanced triple negative breast cancer. And this was um, uh, the initial reports of 64 patients with previously untreated metastatic triple negative breast cancer who were treated with ladirituzumab plus pembrolizumab. And again, really remarkable um, efficacy seen here. So additional work is being planned um, for this. I'd like to shift gears near now and talk um, briefly about um, this idea of HER2 low um, expressing breast cancers. So I think we're all very well familiar with HER2 positive or HER2 amplified breast cancers. But in the past few years, there has been increasingly recognition of these HER2 low um, breast cancers, both hormone receptor positive, as well as triple negative um, breast cancers, which can have a low level of HER2 expression. So HER2 one plus or two plus on IHC and non-amplified by FISH. And about two thirds of patients with hormone receptor positive breast cancer have been uh, found to have HER2 low expression and about a third of patients with uh, triple negative breast cancer. And the reason that there was interest in this as an entity is that, you know, as we've talked about, there are these antibody drug conjugates that have potent bystander effects that could have a remarkable efficacy in patients who only have a subset of their tumors um, have HER2 expression at a very low level. And so that was where a lot of this interest came from. So about two thirds of hormone receptor positive breast cancers, a third of triple negative breast cancers have been studied and have been shown to have a low level of HER2 expression. So that led to an interest in looking at trastuzumab deruxtecan or NHER2 as a potential uh, therapy to target these HER2 low expressing tumors. As you'll recall, trastuzumab deruxtecan um, has uh, deruxtecan, which is a topoisomerase one inhibitor as its toxic payload and also has a very potent bystander effect. And so in a proof of concept trial, there was a phase 1B trial that looked at trastuzumab deruxtecan or TDXD in HER2 low tumors. And what was found was um, in this small cohort of patients, just under 50 patients, that there was a response rate of 44%. So that led to a large randomized phase 3 trial um, called the Destiny Breast 04 trial, which looked at comparing uh, TDXD versus chemotherapy of physician's choice in HER2 low metastatic breast cancer. Now the Destiny Breast 04 trial uh, will be presented. We have final results from this trial will be presented at ASCO this year in the plenary session. 
this trial was a positive trial, which we know based on a press release, which demonstrated that there was not only a progression-free survival, but also an overall survival advantage favoring TDXD over chemotherapy of physician's choice. This trial primarily enrolled hormone receptor positive um, uh, disease, but there was also a subset of patients, I believe 10%, that had triple negative breast cancer. So it'll be really exciting to see what these results are. And I suspect at least based on the press release that we very well could have an approval for TDXD for HER2, IHC1+, and 2-plus uh, non-amplified um, cancers in the not too distant future. So really exciting data will be presented at ASCO this year. The begonia study is a basket trial that looked at a number of different tumor types. And one of the arms here looked at TDXD plus dervalumab in patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Again, a small cohort of just 30 patients. And again, remarkable efficacy seen here with this combination. It's non-randomized uh, responses were seen both in PDL1 positive as well as PDL1 negative advanced triple negative breast cancer. It's hard to know if that is just because of efficacy from TDXD in these patients or if there's some synergy. We'll obviously need randomized trials to help us tease that out, but this combination did appear to be safe and we'll be moving forward in uh, the randomized disease setting. We also have other um, HER2-directed antibody drug conjugates. Um, Tristuzumab duocarmazine is being investigated. Again, this is an antibody drug conjugate just like Tristuzumab duroxtecan, which targets HER2, um, but has a different toxic payload here. Um, Duba is the toxic payload here, which is another topoisomerase inhibitor also with a potent bystander effect. And in um, some proof of concept trials that were done in patients, this is uh, the study that was done in HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer, where the response rate was 33%. There have also been um, um, subsets of patients with uh, metastatic uh, HER2 low expressing triple negative disease, as well as hormone receptor positive disease included here with, again, uh, response rates in the 40 to almost 30% range, really small numbers here, but at least we've got some proof of concept that this drug can be effective in HER2 low uh, hormone receptor positive as well as triple negative breast cancers. And the toxicity seen here are different, ocular toxicity and fatigue, the most common with this uh, Duba uh, toxic payload. The ox ocular toxicity can certainly impact quality of life. So I think it remains to be seen. Um, what that toxicity, what the incidence of this toxicity is and how debilitating it can be. And that will obviously inform future directions and development for this agent. Patritumab is another uh, novel antibody drug conjugate here targeting HER3, also with a deruxtecan uh, topoisomerase 1 um, toxic payload uh, with a potent uh, bystander effect. And here are results from a small phase 1-2 trial that looked at patritumab druxtecan in um, HER3 overexpressing metastatic breast cancers. 
a small study of just 40 some odd patients, but a response rate of 43% with a median progression-free survival of eight months. So again, really exciting data from another ADC that certainly warrants further investigation. So I will just wrap it up here as we just head back to our questions that what we've seen over the last few years are an explosion of therapies that have been approved for advanced triple negative breast cancer. We have our PARP inhibitors that are available for BRCA1 and 2 germline um, uh, mutated uh, patients. We also have immunotherapy that is now approved for PDL1 positive advanced triple negative breast cancer. Again, here, a combined positive score of at least 10 and only pembrolizumab is approved at the present time to be given with chemotherapy for PDL1 positive um, metastatic triple negative breast cancer. About 40% of patients who have metastatic triple negative breast cancer have PDL1 positive disease. And then sasituzumab is approved for the second line and beyond setting for patients with advanced triple negative breast cancer. No biomarker is required um, because what we've seen is even if we look at trope two expression levels, the vast majority of triple negative breast cancers have high levels of trope two. And even for those triple negative breast cancers that have a low level of trope two expression because of this pi standard effect, sasituzumab is still superior to um, chemotherapy of physician's choice. I'm sorry, in the interest of time, I didn't have an opportunity to review those data. We also have a number of antibody drug conjugates targeting HER2 low expression, HER3 expression, LIV1A, that are demonstrating promise in um, the clinical care, um, clinical trial setting and very well may enter uh, the clinical care setting in the not too distant future. Um, obviously, there is much work that remains to be done in terms of characterizing triple negative breast cancer heterogeneity and identifying biomarkers that can predict response to therapies and mechanisms of resistance. Um, but I think that we've seen so many new therapies that have entered the clinic. I think that we want to certainly look at how these therapies are offered to all of our patients with advanced stage triple negative breast cancer, and that we should all feel empowered to help eradicate and eliminate the disparities in outcomes that have been observed. Again, once we take away barriers to access to care, we know that we can eradicate the vast majority of disparities in outcomes. And so we should all feel empowered to do so. So here is just a very high level look at the therapies as we've reviewed them. Immunotherapy is approved for PDL1 positive disease. Um, Sasituzumab is approved in the second line and beyond setting. And then for those with germline BRCA alterations, we definitely want to look to our PERP inhibitors and we want to use them earlier on in disease um, course because we know that they're most effective when used early on. Pembrolizumab has a tumor type type agnostic indication for mismatch repair, as well as microsatellite unstable tumors, and then a number of antibody drug conjugates that are in development. Thank you for attending this edition of CE Conversations. We hope it has been impactful for your clinical practice and most importantly for the patients you serve. Please proceed to the link in the show notes to complete the activity evaluation and claim your CE credit. Thank you.